Welcome to Tashma, the podcast where you get to listen in on Hadar's Beit Midrash. I'm Rabbi Avi Killip. Moshe reached the greatest spiritual heights of any human speaking with God face to face. What I love about Rabbi Eli Kampfer's lecture, Confronting Mortality, the Case of Moshe's Death, is that he uses Midrash to show that all of this didn't make Moshe any less human. His time, like all humans, must come to an end. And Moshe is anxious about it. We can even learn something about our own relationship with mortality as well. Let's listen in. We're going to take a look at a phenomenal midrash today, in my opinion. Um, it's an unusual midrash in terms of its style, and, and I'm going to sort of introduce that. We're going to dive in to a fantastic midrash that I think is unusual in the following way. Normally, when you think of midrash, or when I think of midrash, I think of a very close reading of a particular line of text that um, that then gives you a relatively terse solution to a textual problem you weren't even totally sure was there in the first place. But now that you're made aware of it, because the Midrash sort of tells you, oh, this is a problem, it's a repetition, it's an unusual word, it's a backward phrasing, it's whatever it is, um, then they give you a solution to that uh, in a relatively short and pithy manner. Um, the truth is that is that is the, the older style of Midrash. Uh, and if you're going to open up the, um, you know, the Midrashim on Breshid or on Vayikra, um, you're going to see very short snippets, not long discursive stories. However, the, the um, development of Midrash actually wasn't limited to just those short snippets. Um, but there also are much longer Midrashim that sort of enter into Jewish history later on. And I think those are fascinating as well because they're not just Midrashim in the sense that they're solving a textual problem, although they are, but they're also stories. They're telling a story. Um, and that's the opportunity of a Midrash that we're going to have uh, to look at today together, which is the story of Moshe coming to terms with his own mortality. Um, and as we're going to see, it's a long Midrash that, um, that is really meditating on that very question the whole time, which is to say, how are you, um, how are you able to reconcile with death? Um, and specifically, if Moshe is the same as all of us, all, but more so. Um, so his death is like the same for all of us, but more so. Um, and that is to say, we all have trouble reconciling with death, and Moshe all the more so. Um, and he sort of might think that he could cheat death because he's such an unusual person in life. Maybe the same rules don't apply to him. Um, and we're going to see how that obviously didn't go uh, in that direction. And all this through the lens of Midrash. So as we go through the Midrash together, what I'm going to invite you to do is to notice the textual problems. There are textual problems that are being solved here, um, mainly from the book of Job, which is replete with textual problems and replete with words that are only found in the book of Job. Um, but also, uh, if you were to sort of start with the question of how is one reconciling to one's own mortality, uh, that's also, I think, what the meta question is here that we're going to get to see um, at play. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to invite us into this Midrash. Are we ready to dive in? Let's do it. Start off from where this Midrash is from, and then we'll dive into what the Midrash is actually saying. Okay. So this is a long midrash from Devarim Rabbah. 
Devarim Rabbah is um, the, the Midrashim that are organized by the verses on the book of Devarim, on the book of Deuteronomy. We, we know this collection is Midrash Rabbah, but actually that's a much later name for all of the Torah. It's called Midrash Rabbah. Um, but in, in, in reality, each, uh, each book had its own time and place when it was formulated. The, the Midrashim on Breshit, on Genesis, and on Vayikra, on Leviticus, are the oldest ones. Um, Bamidbar is the latest one, written like hundreds of years after the close of the Talmud, although maybe drawing on earlier stuff. And uh, Shimon and Devarim Rabbah are also sort of in the middle there. They're not as old as, um, as Breshit Rabbah and Vayikra Rabbah, but not as late as Bamidbar Rabbah. And what, what, what this means for us is that we get to see a mix of styles in Devarim Rabbah that you might not have um, in some of the older Midrashim. And that's where we're going to get this long, this uh, sort of um, discursive version of this Midrash. Uh, it, this was edited by Saul Lieberman. There are two versions of, of Midrash Rabbah, the sort of standard printed edition, and then an edition that Lieberman uh, published for manuscript that's a little bit different from the standard version. So if you uh, like pull up Devarim Rabbah on Safari, um, you're not going to see this exact version, but there's a lot of overlap, um, and we're not going to go into the scholarship about the differences there, but this is just from the Lieberman edition there. Okay, so let's start off with the textual problem that is supposedly at issue here, which is a verse from, from Job, chapter 20, verse 6 from Job, but really continues on to verse 7, and it goes like this, Im shamayim si'o, virosho la'av yagia. So though his height rises up to heavens, his head reaching the clouds, nevertheless, says the next verse, he perishes forever like his dung, those who saw him will say, where is he? Ayo. Okay, and I think encaptured in, uh, in these two verses is sort of, the arc of the human experience. On the one hand, we are going up to the highest heights and we are reaching the peak. And on the other hand, we know that we will, uh, eventually our bodies will give in and we will perish. Um, and people may not even remember us. Uh, they, may, they may say, oh, remember that guy? No, I don't really remember him. Oh, where, have you seen him? No, I haven't seen him. He's sort of out of sight, out of mind. Um, and this is, uh, this is a universal concern and also a concern in the Midrash. Um, so the Midrash connects this from Job to the experience of mortality. So the Midrash says, uh, this was only said about the day of death, that even if he goes up to heaven and makes wings, when the time arrives to die, his wings will be broken and he will fall before the angel of death like cattle before the butcher. And this is what David says. David is the reported author of Psalms. Uh, his spirit departs, returning to his earth. Rucho Yashuv Mato, which we say in Sukkot is Imran, Psalm 146. Okay, so the spirit might be the thing that's going up to heaven, um, but his body, Yashuv Mato, that will return um, to the ground. Okay, so this is sort of a general view of mortality. You think. You think you're so great as a human, you've reached such heights, but we all know where this is all heading in the end. Um, and then it's sort of to bring it home a little bit from another verse in Job, um, a slave freed from his master, a, a snippet from Job, 
that even if he purchases him with a thousand gold dinars, when his end comes, he is not able to say to him, you are my slave, but rather is made free of his master. In other words, there's no possession you can take with you. You think these relationships that we have are forever, including you own a slave. That's not the case. Um, even if you paid top dollar, when the time comes, you are not able to take anything with you um, into, the, into the grave. Okay, so this is the sort of general meditation on mortality. And now the Midrash is going to move to the obvious character who is the one who goes up and rises up to heaven that we have in other Midrashic traditions, and that's Moshe. Um, so we're gonna get the story now of Moshe experiencing this mortality in a very direct way. Um, so let's take a look um, at, at this uh, together. Again, they quote the Pasuk, in Ya'alela Shamaim Si'o. This is Moshe, who went up to the sky and his legs walked among the clouds. He was like a ministering angel. Um, and he spoke with God face to face and received the Torah from God's hand. Okay, there's no one in the tradition who is more lofty, who has had more exposure to the heavenly heights than Moshe. If there was anybody who would ever cheat death, it would be Moshe. And yet, we're going to see that Moshe cannot cheat death, even though he's going to try. And what I'm going to sort of advise us to do when we look through this Midrash is, what are the different uh, anxieties that Moshe experiences around his death? And how does he finally become reconciled to the inevitable? So what is he nervous about? Um, what are the different aspects of his anxiety? And how eventually does he come through it to the other side? What is the, what is the thing that, that sort of closes off his objections, which are gonna be very strong in the beginning? Okay, so first of all, why does Moshe die? This is going to be answered in a classic Midrashic method, which is to notice that a word that you didn't pay attention to, and neither did I, appears in two verses that will connect us to the idea that Moshe is going to die. And that word is hain, the letter he, the letter nun, hain, uh, like indeed or cane. It's like, it's, like a, it's almost like a, a word of assent or uh, emphasis that you could gloss over. But it shows up in two verses and, and the Midrash is gonna connect this word hain. Okay, so let's see how it works. Um, God said to Moshe, Hain karvu yamechalamut. Hain, yes, or indeed, your days are drawing closer to death. And that's in Deuteronomy 31, 14. Um, so you're, you're, you are going to die, says, says God to Moshe. And he introduces this with the word hain, indeed, yes. Okay, Moshe says to, uh, to God, master of the universe, Rebona Shalom, did my legs walk among the clouds for nothing? Did I run like a horse before your children for nothing? For I will be like a maggot and worm. Am I really going to go into the grave? After all I did for B'nai Israel and after all the closeness that we had, am I really going to die? So Rabbi Abahu says, um, this is like the following. And you'll notice there are very few uh, names of rabbis mentioned in this Midrash, 
which may sort of indicate uh, a, a, a later uh, um, expansion of some of the themes here, but we do have some, some rabbis who are weighing in along the way. So here we get Rabbi Abahu. So what is this, what is this like? Moshe is objecting. I can't believe I'm gonna die. Not only was I super close to you, God, but I also spent my entire life leading the Jewish people. And now you're gonna just let me rot in the ground? So Rabbi Abahu compares it to a parable. What is this like? It's like one of the great kings that found an Indian sword, Saif Hanadi, which seems to be like a, a special sword, unparalleled, and said, this is only fit for a king. What did he do? He brought the sword as a gift to the king. The king said, cut off his head with it, right? No good deed goes unpunished. Okay, so there's something valuable. Uh, somebody finds it. Brings it, uh, brings it to the, the king, and the king um, undoes him with it. So too, Moshe said to the Holy Blessed One, Master of the Universe, in the manner that I praised you, the Devar Shakilas when it says in Devarim in chapter 10, indeed, or yes, this is for Hashem, your God of heaven, this is the language in which you decree death upon me? And God said to him, yes, pain. So Moshe is, is upset, not only because of the theory, like how could you kill me, I'm Moshe, but also I use the word hain. This is again, a very Midrashic understanding of uh, what goes around, comes around. I use the word hain to describe you and to praise you, that to say to, that, that uh, this is for uh, Adonai, your God of heaven. And then you're going to turn around and use the same word hain against me and say, yes, your days of dying are to come. Okay, so there's, this is, again, a midrashic, uh, I would say, insight, brilliance, that the word hain, which we've glossed over, is actually connected to Moshe's death and Moshe's praise of God. And now they get to fill in the, 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 the middle and say, Moshe can't believe he's going to die, especially after all he's done to praise God and uh, sort of tout God. Uh, God is going to turn around and in that very language uh, end Moshe's life. Um, okay, now we're going to get Moshe's next ob uh, 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 objection. And it's going to be about all the other people who died before him and how he's a little bit different. So God says, Look, Moshe, what can I do? Adam Arishon, the very first person I created, I decreed death upon him. That is to say, it was a punishment, right? All of humanity is, is mortal. Um, that was the knas, that was the fine that I find um, the first person with. Um, but now Moshe's going to object and say, yeah, but the first Adam, Adam Arishon, Adam died because you commanded him in a light mitzvah, and he transgressed it. But I shouldn't die, right? You, you told Adam a very simple thing, don't eat from the tree, and Adam ate from the tree. And so, of course, he was deserving of death. And P.S., he had a warning, right? The day you eat from the, the tree, you'll die. Um, but come on, I'm not the same as Adam, right? I can't be, I'm not really mortal. Oh, sure, those other people, they're mortal, but not me. So God goes down to the next character. God says to, to Moshe, but look, Avram, who sanctified my name in the world, he died, right? Nobody's immortal. Avram was my chosen one. 
who spreads my my word in the in the world, he was also mortal. So Moshe has a comeback and says, Moshe says to God, yeah, but Yishmael came from Abraham and Yishmael's children anger you. And then we have another verse from, from Job, as it says, robbers live untroubled in their tents, in their tents, and those who provoke God are secure. Um, and, the, and Midrash seems to understand this as a, as a connection to, uh, to Ishmael and his descendants. So God says, yeah, but look, Yitzchak spread out his neck on the altar. Yitzchak, okay. Adam Arishon had a sin. Avram gave birth to Ishmael. What about Yitzchak who was prepared to die on the altar? The Midrash understands Yitzchak as a willing uh, sacrifice in the, in the story of the Akedah. Um, yeah, so Moshe has to come back to this as well. Well, Esav came from Yitzchak, and Esav, who in the Midrash is understood as the ancestor for Edom, i.e. Rome, and Rome, they destroyed your temple and burned your sanctuary, even though that hasn't happened yet, but we know it's headed down there, okay? So yeah, Yitzchak deserved to die because his child also uh, was troublesome. Um, um, Okay, David saying, why would Abraham be punished for the sins of his descendants or rewarded for their, their good deeds? Yeah, right. We, def we definitely don't want to be held accountable for the, uh, for the sins of our children, right? Um, but I think there is this idea that, uh, at least midrashically, that if you give birth to someone who is unworthy, then there was something unworthy within you. How could that have happened otherwise? P.S., this midrash doesn't go into it. Moshe's kids are not exactly... Um, uh, you know, models, paragons of, uh, of of righteousness. And indeed, there are other midrashim that say that Moshe's kids, um, who we barely hear from, are uh, are corrupt in their own ways. So again, if, if, if you're going up with the argument of, yeah, well, judge me by my kids, Mo that might be a faulty argument for Moshe. But for right now, he's just using it to say how different he is from these other, from these other people. Um, okay, let's look down to who's going to be next. Yaakov. All these people died. Okay, so what makes you think you're different, Moshe? So God says to him, but look, 12 tribes came from Yaakov and there was no taint among them. Oh, Yaakov, he had 12 sons and none of them went off and started other nations that destroyed the Jewish people like Ishmael and, uh, and Asa. So Yaakov was better and he dies as well. So Moshe is now gonna play his trump card, which is, yeah, but no one's like me. Moshe says to God, Yaakov didn't go up to the sky. His feet did not walk among the clouds. He was not like the ministering angels. You did not speak with him face to face and he did not receive the Torah from your hand. Now, how does God respond to this? God does not respond by saying, well, you have to understand, you know, here's, you're also mortal just like these other, you know, flawed characters. And Moshe is sort of playing is, yeah, but I was different from everybody. God says back to, uh, to Moshe, Ravlach, al stop talking to me. Too much. This is too great for you. It's enough. Okay. This is actually an interesting, if you talk about Midrashic echoes, this is the very phrase that Moshe says to Korach that we read this past week. Ravlach Levi, it's too much for you, children of Levi, when you're rebelling against me. God uses that same language to uh to knock down Moshe and say, yeah, I'm not gonna argue anymore. I'm just stopping the conversation. You have to die. Okay, this is not the end of the conversation, however. 
So now we get the next seed. Moshe says to God, Yibona Shalolam, maybe, okay, so, so let, well, let's see what his anxiety is now. Maybe, Shema Yomru Dorot, lest the future generations say, had God not found something wrong with Moshe, God would not have taken him from the world. Ah, what's the problem Moshe's worried about now? The only reason that I'm gonna die, given how special I was and how unusual and unique I was, is that there was something wrong with me. And I don't want my legacy to be that there was something wrong. I don't want people after I'm dead to say, you know, it turns out Moshe wasn't as great as he thought he was. And that's why God killed him in the end. So if the first anxiety is I am unique relative to other people, let's say the second anxiety is, um, or should I say, aren't I unique relative to other people? The second anxiety is, what are people going to say about me after I'm gone? What stories are they going to invent about me? Because they don't have all the information. And I'm not going to be here to defend myself, right? What's my legacy that I'm not going to be able to have control over? That's my second anxiety. Um, now, God starts off by saying, yeah, don't worry. You're good. I wrote in the Torah. There was no other prophet who came up in Israel like Moses, right? That's like, don't worry about it. Your fate is sealed. You've got a, a like a perfect score in the Torah. And, and, and I'm reminding you of that verse. That's how you get called. We know this from Yigdal, but it's just rewritten, rewritten here. Okay, so there's no one like Moshe. Don't worry about your future legacy. It's good. But then, and this is this is like, it, it, it shows you the danger of pressing too hard. Moshe says, yeah, but perhaps they'll say that in my youth, I did your will, but in my old age, I did not do your will, right? Maybe they said, yeah, lokam naviod. There was no navi, no prophet who arose, maybe Moshe, when he arose in his youth, maybe then he was flawless. He was unique. He was the best. But later on, that's when he went off the path. So Moshe is not mollified by uh, his anxiety about his legacy. Um, okay, so what does God say? Well, God responds and says, well, yeah, actually, you're on to something, right? Um, because I did write in my Torah, um, because you did not sanctify me, right? This is the, the, the story of Moshe's undoing when he hits the rock. There was no sanctification in that moment. And so, yes, Moshe, you are not flawless. And you do have something that went off the rails when you got older. And so there is something to worry about. Okay, now you might say, as my mother-in-law often says around this, well, come on, like, are you really gonna hold Moshe to account for that? Like the guy suffered so long for so many years, all he does is make one tiny mistake and that's what's going to be his undoing. He's not going to come into the land. He's going to be mortal just because of that. So that's going to come up. Um, but for now, we're going to see, um, you know, what this, what, what Moshe's response is. So Moshe says back to God, well, if it's your will, then let me enter the land of Israel and I'll live there for two or three years and then I'll die, right? Here's the bargaining. Okay, fine. I'm not perfect. I did make a mistake there. I didn't sanctify you when I should have, but will you at least grant me entry into Israel and a few more years of life? Do I have to die now? 
or can I have a few extra years in the place that I always imagined I would end my life? Will you at least grant me that, even though I'm not perfect, right? Is Moshe's next tack. And God says, God is not having it. It's a decree before me that you will not enter there. God says, you're not gonna enter the promised land. And Moshe says, okay, bargaining, okay. If I can't enter while I'm alive, can you at least let me enter after my death? Can I be buried there, right? That's what uh, Yosef asks for, right? That his bones get taken out of Egypt. So God says, not while you're alive, lo b'chayecha, Not while you're alive and not after your death, right? You can't actually have the entirety of your, your end planned out. You don't have control over everything. I am not gonna let you in and I'm not gonna let your, your bones in afterwards. And Libby's saying, well, hold on. If I was gonna think of some sins from Moshe, how about the sin of killing the Egyptian way back in his youth? By the way, he thinks his youth is good and it's only later on. Um, but Libby's saying, well, maybe his youth is, is at, at issue. Although that doesn't come up and you could maybe make like an argument for, uh, you know, for, for self-defense or for defending the, the victim in that, in that scene. It wasn't like an innocent Egyptian walking around. It was a taskmaster beating a slave. Um, but you're right to notice that, well, hold on, if I'm really gonna poke on Moshe's life story, are there other things that I might find besides hitting the rock that, that puts him in the category of mortal and human who makes mistakes? Yeah, probably. And we're gonna get that in a second. Okay, so meanwhile, we've got, we've got number one, Maybe I'm different from other people and that's why I shouldn't die. Number two, maybe um, I'm the one who, uh, you know, who is going to uh, uh, have something said about me that's wrong. And so I'm concerned about my legacy. And number three, maybe I could just have a little bit of control about where I die or a few more years or about where I'm buried. And all that control is also taken away from Moshe. You see the tragedy of Moshe's death really in the Torah that this Midrash is drawing out. Okay, now Moshe's really gonna go for the jugular here and say, why all this anger against me, right? God, lama, uh, right? Which is just such a poignant question. You know, why? Why am I suffering? Why am I the object of this anger? Why me, right? Which is just such a, a, like a core question that we ask around facing our mortality. And God comes back and says again, you know why, because you did not sanctify me. Now, Moshe gets angry himself and says, oh, come on, towards all humans, you behave with an attribute of mercy on two or three occasions, as it says, yes, all these God does twice or three times with a person, right? In other words, God forgives B'nai Israel over and over again. But with me, for one sin, you will not forgive me? Like, how is it possible that I make one mistake and that is it and there's no discussion and I, you know, and I'm not even going to go into the land and I'm going to be, you know, I'm not going to be immortal, all this. Well, now God says, okay, you want to get real? Let's get real. And Karsh Baruch Hu says to Moshe, you did six sins, but I didn't reveal any of them to you. 
Okay, you think you were so great and you only had one sin and that was the only thing that was doing it? Nope, you're gonna have actually six things to deal with. Oh, and, and you're also noticing the hain, right? Hain kol ela in yo, good. Okay, so what are the six sins that Moshe, if I said to you, come up with six sins that Moshe did in his life besides hitting the rock, what would you come up with, right? That's sort of an interesting exercise. Um, so let's take a look at what the Midrash is coming up with as his sin. The very first one that happens when Moshe is selected by God to take the Jewish people out of, uh, out of Egypt. Shlach tishlach, right? Moshe says to, to God, after God says, I'm, I'm choosing you, you're going to go back to Egypt, take people out. And Moshe says, no, I can't speak. Send anybody but me. Shlach tishlach. Just don't send me, right? So that was Moshe's first sin, which sort of tragically is at the beginning of his career with God. Now he's 80 years old, but still, okay? In the, in the moment when he's selected to do the job that he's supposed to do, Moshe says, no, I don't want to do it. And that's his first sin. His second sin in the same set of scenes is when it's not working with Pharaoh. When it's not working, umeaz bati el paro, right? In, in chapter five in, in, uh, in Shemot, which I spelled out longer in the, Eng in the English, ever since I came before Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has dealt worse with this people. And you, still you have not delivered your people. This is when Moshe gets upset that this whole thing about redemption isn't working. And actually things are getting worse, right? So there's a, a lack of faith that Moshe demonstrates in that moment as well. Now you might dismiss it and say, look, who can blame the guy? You know, things aren't working. God doesn't have a great track record at that moment, but this is sin number two for Moshe. Let's see sin number three, four, and five are all related, related to Korach, um, to Korach and to, the, and to the spies. So it's in Bamidbar. Lo Adonai Shelachani, it was not God who sent me. Ve'im b'riah yivra Hashem, right? If, um, if God creates a new creation, that is to say, Moshe is defending himself against Korach's uh, charges. And one of them is by saying, you know, hey, I didn't choose this job, you know, um, uh, like, was, wasn't it God who, who sent me? And the second one is, uh, sort of forces God's hand and says, yeah, if these people are wrong, then let God create a new creation, like opening up the earth and swallowing them up. And then God has to sort of make do with that, uh, even though that wasn't God's command. And also Moshe says, Shimuna Morim, right? That's in our hitting the rock thing. He call, not only does he hit the rock, but he calls the people rebels, Hamorim. They're rebelling against them. Okay, so this is three, three examples, two of them from Korach, one from, another one from hitting the rock in the book of Numbers. And number six, um, behold, you, God and Ruvain, stood in place of your ancestors, that band of sinning men, Tachat Abotechem, um, and then he, Tarbut uh, Anashim, which they, uh, they understand here to be casting aspersions on God and Uvain's ancestors. Now, you remember, God and Uvain make Moshe angry because they don't want to cross over into the land. They want to stay on the other side of the Jordan where the grazing is good. Um, and, and Moshe gets upset at them. But the way the Midrash reads it here is that Moshe insulted their ancestors, the ancestors of God and Uvain, which is Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Were they sinners? Shah, Marta, Livneam, Kach, that you would call their children in this way, right? 
So here, now, you might say, I don't know, are these really sins? Some of them might be sins, but at least according to Midrash, there are a number of reasons why Moshe is mortal. Moshe is not the almost perfect figure who made one slip up one day by hitting a rock instead of speaking to it. That's not the story of this Midrash. The story here is that, yeah, Moshe's had it coming for a long time. He does have um, those issues in the... Uh, in the uh, uh, in his past that would lead him to be mortal. Um, David's saying, what's the sin in number four? I think it's that Moshe forces God's hand to do something to open up the earth, even though God didn't actually ask that. Okay, so now Moshe says, well, hold on. I called them sinners just like you called them sinners. Don't blame me for something I learned from you. Moshe says, uh, he says to God, master of the universe, I learned from you. These are the, the fire pans of the, these sinning men. This is again in the Korah rebellion. And then God says, yeah, but hold on. I said about them, and not and not their ancestors, right? I didn't insult the ancestors. I never said anything bad about Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. And you did, at least according to this Midrashic reading of this Pasuk in, in Numbers 32. Okay, so up until this point, we've now gotten real, and Moshe is, like all of us, a sinner, not a perfect person, not somebody who makes one slip up, but actually throughout his life, even from the early career, he's had issues that are going to trip him up later on, and therefore he is mortal, like the rest of us, okay? Now, Moshe's going to try one other card here, which is... Well, fine, I sinned, but why wouldn't you forgive me? Aren't you about forgiveness? So Moshe says to God, master of the universe, I am one and Israel is 600,000. Many times they sinned before you and I asked for mercy for them and you forgave them. You care for 600,000, but you don't care for me, right? It's, it's amazing the psychology behind these arguments, right? Okay, you love them better than me, there's 600,000 of them. I'm just one person. So God responds and says, yeah, the decree for an individual is not the same as the decree for the community. That is to say, I can forgive the public. I can forgive the collective. But individuals always have to die. There's no escaping it. And further, God says, um, this is so painful. Up until now, it was your time, but now it's no longer your time. Your time is moving on. Your time has passed. It's time to go. There's something about the sha'ah, the moment, the time that's sort of associated with your, with your death here. Even if it wasn't about forgiveness, even if I could have forgiven you, even if you didn't sin, there's such a thing as you've run out of time. And that's less about a punishment and more about just the, the way that humans operate in the world. Okay, let's go on and see further because Moshe is not giving up. He said to him, master of the universe, rise from the chair of judgment and sit on the chair of mercy and I will not die. Just forgive me like you do every Rosh Hashanah to everybody. My sins will be forgiven with suffering that you can bring upon my body. Just do not give me to the destruction of the angel of death. Ah. I, I'm willing to take on pain 
just don't hand me over for the ultimate end. If you do this, I will tell your praise to everyone in the world, just like it is written about David, I will not die for I will live. And what do I do with my life? I will speak the deeds of Hashem. Um, yeah, but God quotes the end of the Psalm and says, this is the gate for, uh, uh, of God. Sadikim, even the righteous shall pass through it, i.e. everybody dies, even the righteous. It's prepared for the righteous and for all creatures forever. Nobody can escape death. Okay, we've gone through a lot of rounds between Moshe and, uh, and God, and now we're gonna see how this develops further. And what we're headed towards is a poignant scene where Moshe is actually ready to give over power to Yoshua, and we're gonna see how that goes. But before we get there, we have a few other stops along the way. Um, so Moshe saw that God wasn't listening to him. So now Moshe is gonna to try to get some allies to make the argument for him. Um, but you're gonna see that nobody or nothing is able to help Moshe in this moment. So Moshe goes first to heaven and earth. He says to them, heaven and earth, ask for mercy for me, which is sort of a rabbinic idiom for pray, pray for me. Um, they said to him, well, before we ask for mercy for you, we must ask for mercy for ourselves. As it's written, for heaven melted like smoke, and the earth will wear out like a garment. Like, you know, I can't worry about you. I got to worry about me, says heaven and earth. Moshe goes to the sun and the moon and says before them, ask for mercy for me. They said, no, before we ask for you, we got to ask for ourselves as it's written. The moon will be ashamed and the sun will be abashed. We're also going to be um, mortal, as it were. He went to the stars and the planets, ask for mercy for me. They said to him, no, before we ask for mercy for you, we got to ask for mercy for ourselves. As it says, all the hosts of heaven will disintegrate, right? There's some end of time when even these forever parts of the universe are also at threat. Moshe goes to the mountains and the hills, says, ask mercy for me. It says to him, before we ask mercy for you, we got to ask mercy for ourselves. As it says, for the mountains will move and the hills will be shaken, right? We're also impermanent. Now, this is tricky. Moshe goes to the sea. He went to the great sea and the sea said to him, son of Amram, what's today of all days? Like, what gives? Why are you here? Are you not the son of Amram that came upon me with your staff, struck me and split me into 12 paths? That's the Midrash's view of how the 12 tribes walk through the, the, the sea. That I was not able to stand against you because the Shekhinah guided your right hand, as it said, who made the arm of his glory walk to the right hand of Moshe, splitting water, make a name for him forever, right? So you think you're gonna get, get help from me? I'm sorry, weren't you the one who split me and hurt me? But now what can you do? When the sea reminded him of what he did in his youth, Moshe cried and wept and said, can he make me like the moons of old? In other words, can I really be immortal? When I previously passed before you, I was king of the world but now I'm bent over and no one cares for me. Right, again, it's a sort of deep anxiety of, I used to be a master of the universe and I used to be able to split the sea. And now look at me, I'm lacking my power and nobody's really paying attention to me anymore. So what's Moshe's next strategy? He's done with all of the natural bodies that aren't really willing to help him, including the sea, which is, 
still bearing a grudge from when Moshe was, uh, was a little more ascendant. So immediately he goes to the, the Sarah Panim, the, uh, the, the inner prince, or probably the, like the, the, the number one prince, Metatron perhaps, and he says to him, pray for me. Angels, pray for me. He, says, he said to Moshe, my teacher, why all this trouble? I already heard from behind the curtain that your prayer is not heard in this matter. You're not gonna make it. There's no end, there's no prayer that can save you here. Okay, so what's next? Moshe placed his hands on his head, cried and wept and said, who shall I go to to pray for mercy for me, right? This helpless sense, who's going to defend me? Who's gonna be in league with me? Who's gonna protect me? Who's gonna argue my case? I've argued so many other cases. Who's gonna argue for me? Said Rabbi Simlai, at that time, the Holy Blessed One was filled with wrath, as it says, Hashem was angry with me. Adonai said to him, do not continue to speak to me about this matter. We saw this already quoted above. Don't speak to me about this anymore. Okay, so up until now, this is the attempt for Moshe to cheat death. Now, God is gonna give the, the, the final choice. He's gonna say, you know what, Moshe? If you really wanna cheat death, I have one way to do it, but I wanna actually um, reveal your true character. So God says to Moshe, I swore two oaths. One oath is that you shall die. And the other is my oath to destroy Israel, which God swears on a number of occasions. It's impossible to cancel both of them. So if you want to live and Israel die, then well and good, okay? If you want to live, Moshe, remember, I offered you this deal. I would remake you as the new head of the new nation and let Israel die. So I'm giving you that chance one more time. You want to live? I'm going to let you live, but Israel has to die. And so this is, of course, Moshe's weak spot. And he says, master of the universe, you come to me. In scheming, Balila, you are holding both ends of the rope in one hand. This is, this is not a choice. Let Moshe and a thousand like him die, but don't destroy Israel. Okay, so Moshe is basically like, I'll never take that deal. That's never going to be the choice I will make. Which again, in this moment of sort of true end, Moshe's character still stays constant. He is the defender of Israel, and he's not willing to become immortal at the price of Israel's destruction. Okay, but Moshe's not done. <laughs> so he's got to start again. He said, Mast, and I think also this sort of up and down around the, uh, you know, what does it mean to have mortality uh, stare us in the face? You can be, you know, you can work for a while. I got this objection, I got that objection, and then I'm calm, and then I'm going to start up again. And here we see it again. Shalola, master of the universe, the legs that went up to heaven and greeted the Shekhinah on the hands that received the Torah from your hands, that, 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 shall he lick the dust? Shall that person die? Woe to all creatures, for when they sin, they shall say, if Moshe went up to the heavens and was like a ministering angel and spoke to God face to face and received Torah from God's hand, didn't have the opportunity to do tshuva. So how about regular people? How much the more so? since they do not walk with Torah or mitzvah, right? They're not as good as Moshe. So maybe Moshe is saying, don't do it for me, do it for the future people who are gonna be despairing that there's no such thing as tshuva. If I can't do tshuva, 
then no one can do tshuva, they will say. Now God says to Moshe, I think this is sort of psychologically helpful, all this trouble that you're troubled, lama. this is sort of the mirror of all the anger that you're showing me, God, why? Now God is saying, all the trouble, all this concern, all this suffering that you're showing here, why? What's the deal? What are you afraid of? I am afraid of the angel of death. Ah, so now comes another aspect. What is it? Moshe is not upset that he has to die and, and it's going to be the end of him. He's actually afraid of the experience of death. I'm afraid of what it's going to feel like to die. So now God is going to actually um, be merciful. God says, I will not hand you over to his hands. You will not feel the pain of death. Moshe said, Master of the universe, my mother Yocheved, whose teeth were set on edge on account of her two children, Miriam and Aaron, in her lifetime. That's a whole other story. Shall her teeth be set on, age through, on edge through my death? There's a midrash that Yocheved was still alive and even entered the land of Israel. So Moshe was like, maybe you shouldn't do this just for the sake of my mother, not because of me. God says, look, this is what I've ordained. And this is the way of the world. Every generation and its teachers, every generation and its officers, every generation and its leaders, they die. Until now, it was your portion to serve before me. But now you take your portion and the time of Yoshua, your servant, uh, it's, it's time for him to serve. That time has arrived. Now we get another character of Yoshua. Yoshua is the replacement for Moshe. Now there's no replacement for Moshe, but there is, there has to be, there's always someone next. So now we're gonna get the dynamics of Moshe and Yoshua. Moshe says to God, master of the universe, if before Yoshua, my student, I die, I will go and be his student. Oh, if you're worried about Yoshua taking over, no problem, we'll just trade places. I, Moshe, the teacher, I'll become the student of Yoshua. It's going to be fine. You'll see that I can still continue to live. So God says, okay, if you want to try that, go ahead and try it. Go ahead and do it. Try being the student of Yoshua. And this is, I think, now we're moving from, instead of only being reconciled to your death, into the question of what does it mean to have succession? Who could possibly replace Moshe? And how hard is it for people to move on? in that moment of succession. So what happens? Now we get the story. Moshe gets up early while Yoshua was sitting and teaching. Moshe stood and bent his whole height and put his hand on his mouth. He was concealed from the eyes of Yoshua and he didn't see him in order that he shouldn't be pained. So Yoshua's teaching, Moshe's there, Moshe's holding back, he's not speaking and Yoshua can't see him. Israel went to Moshe's door to learn Torah. They asked, like they went to his home, they went for the daily shear. They said, where's Moshe? And uh, uh, God said to them, he got up early and went to Yoshua's door. Go check out Yoshua's classroom. That's where Moshe is. They went and found him at Yoshua's door. Yoshua was sitting and teaching while Moshe was standing on his feet. Now remember, Yoshua can't see Moshe. They said to Yoshua, how is it a time where Moshe is standing and you're sitting? What are you, what's going on here? How is it that you, Yoshua, are teaching in front of Moshe, the student? 
Now Joshua raised his eyes. Now he suddenly notices that Moshe's there. He saw him and immediately he ripped his clothes and cried and wept. He said, my teacher, my teacher, Rabbi, Rabbi, Adoni, Abi, my, my master, my father, why do you make me guilty and punish me? Why are you trying to be my student? What is going on here? Everything is backwards, right? So it just doesn't work. Moshe's attempt to give power to the next generation, as it were, I'll live on. It's fine. I'll be the rabbi emeritus. I'll just sit here in the back and no one's ever going to ask me to do anything. You go ahead and teach your class. You do the funeral. It's going to be it's going to be totally fine. No one will notice me. No. As soon as they see him, boom, Yoshua goes crazy and says, how can I teach in front of my master Moshe? And Israel, Amru Yisrael and Moshe, Israel says to Moshe, Moshe, our teacher, teach us Torah, right? I'm not letting you, you can't be a student. I'm just going to let you, uh, I'm going to let you teach. He said to them, I don't have permission. I'd like to teach you. I really would. But they ended my contract. And so I'm out on a technicality. Uh, and they, says, they said to Moshe, well, we won't, we won't leave you. Abad Kol went out and said to them, learn from Yoshua. Like the heavenly voice says, people, Moshe's time is over. Take Yoshua's class. They agreed to sit and learn from Yoshua. Yoshua sat at the head. Moshe at his right, Aaron's sons on his left, and he sat and taught before Moshe. How awkward is that, right? Sort of heaven has to come in, the principal has to come in and say, people, this is the new order. Yoshua's in charge. Don't worry about Moshe. Everybody just be here together. Is this really going to work out? Is this going to be okay for, um, for Yoshua and his leadership? Not so sure. Okay. Shmuel Bar Nachmani says in the name of Rabbi Yonatan, at that time, Rabbi, uh, at that time, Yoshua said, Blessed is the one who chose the righteous. Baruch Shebachar Batsadikim. They took the tradition of wisdom from Moshe and gave it to Yoshua. But then Moshe didn't know what Yoshua was teaching, right? There's this transfer of knowledge. And in that moment, Moshe's ability actually dries up. After Israel got up from studying, they said to him, Moshe, the Torah is not clear to us. We didn't understand the lesson. He said to them, I do not know what to respond to you. I can't answer you. I can't help you. It's like the new teacher is in charge. He's not as good as me, but I'm not, I don't have the wisdom either. I can't bring the answers to you anymore. Um, and Moshe, our teacher, teacher, peace be upon him, stumbled and fell. Nichshal v'nofel. At that moment, said Moshe, Ribono Shololam, Arachshav Bikashti Chayim, Achshav Harei Nafshim Misra Up until now, I've been bargaining for my life. And now, behold, my soul is handed over to you. I give up. Right? This is the scene where Moshe finally capitulates. It's not an argument, it's not an intellectual argument that Moshe wins or loses. Um, it's not even a, a mollification around the fear of death and the angel of death won't, won't hurt you, but rather this scene in which we sort of run the experiment of can you have the next leader at the same time as Moshe and either everybody turns to Moshe and you know he, he, he's meant to teach them or Yoshua is meant to teach them, but uh, Moshe loses his ability to understand things 
And when people turn to Moshe and ask, can you clarify that for us? He isn't able to. And that itself is even more tragic than death, that Moshe's um, abilities are nichshal v'nofel. He's, he's failing and he's literally falling over. And now he understands this is the time for me to die. Um, and so, so this is, it, it's sort of like the, um, you know, in action, Moshe is unable to, um, uh, to continue in the role that he always imagined if he lives forever, you know, then he would be just as good as he was, as he is right now. But he sort of sees the future in this little microcosm and stumbles and fails. And in that way, he's ready to hand, hand over to, um, to Yoshua. Okay, so now we get the, the coda. When his soul reconciled with death, the Holy Blessed One opened and said, who will stand for me among the evildoers? So now we get the buyer's remorse from God. God has been pushing so hard. This is the end of Moshe. And now we're going to get God feeling the sadness of Moshe leaving and God understanding that Moshe was offering something that no one else could do. God says, who will stand for Israel in the time of my anger? Who will stand in my children's wars? Who will ask for mercy for them when they sin before me? Now God is saying, gosh, there's something about Moshe that is unique. He was so good at defeating my, my desire to take revenge on the Israelites for their sins. Who's going to do that as well? At that moment, Metatron came and fell on his face saying, Master of the universe, in Moshe's life, he was yours. In his death, he is yours. The Holy Blessed One said to him, I'll give you a parable to what is this similar. Like Metatron says to God, like, don't worry about it. You'll still have Moshe. He'll be up in heaven. And, uh, and then we get a parable about, well, actually, it's hard for me, says God. It's a parable like this. This is a difficult parable. To a king that had a son. And every day his father was angry with him and tried to kill him, for he did not give honor to his father. But his mother saved him from him. Eventually his mother died and the king wept. His servant said to him, our master, the king, why do you weep? He said to them, I'm not weeping about my wife alone, but about her and her son. Many times I've been angry with him and sought to kill him. And she saved him from my hand. So too said the Holy Blessed One to Moshe, I'm not only mourning for Moshe, but also for all of Israel. Because many times Israel provoked me and I was angry with them. But he stood in the breach before me and turned my anger from destruction. As it said, he would have destroyed them if it were not for Moshe's chosen one. So here we see sort of like at the end when Moshe is finally reconciled, we see actually God also is experiencing a loss. It's not just that God moves on and everybody has to die. What can you do? But actually there's a deep loss in God's uh, existence as well, and Moshe's role is not fully fulfilled. Now we get the very end. They came and said to Moshe, the time has come for you to depart from the world. He said to them, wait for me until I bless Israel, for they never in my life received a calm spirit from me because of all the warnings and rebukes that I rebuked them with, right? I never, I never said nice things about Israel because I was always yelling at them. So now at the end of my life, I can change things and begin to bless them. He began to bless each and every tribe. When he saw that the hour was becoming short, he included them all in one blessing. My time is running out. And so now we can't do them one by one. They said to him, the time has come for you to depart from the world. He said to Israel, I have pained you much about the Torah and the mitzvot. Now forgive me, right? His last request and act is to ask to be forgiven by Israel. They said to him, our master, our teacher, you're forgiven. So to Israel stood against him and said to him, much did we provoke you and cause you much trouble. Forgive us. 
he said to them, you're forgiven, right? This beautiful reconciliation on the deathbed. They came and said to him, the final moments are coming and you will depart with them from the world. He said, blessed is his name, the one who lives and exists forever and ever. And that's the end of Moshe's life. That's how he goes out. So my hope is that in this long and discursive storytelling midrash, um, we've had the opportunity to see um, one of the ways in which a midrash can tell a whole story that might be psychologically very familiar to us, psychologically, uh, you know, getting into the insights of how hard it is to die and to be reconciled with our mortality, all the anxieties, all the challenges of succession and transition, and even the final moments of feeling like you're running out of time, even though you've had so long like Moshe had. Um, so my hope is that this gives us a new window into Moshe's death, into some of the complexities about what it means to die, and a new experience of a certain type of Midrash that is a story that hopefully is uh, a long way off, but relevant to all of us. This episode of Tashma was produced by Jeremy Tabak and Sam Greenberg and edited by Evan Feist. I'm your host, Rabbi Avi Killip. It has been a pleasure to learn with you.